So welcome to Fringe with Benefits with your host, Stacy. here. I come to you to scramble your brain on all things anomalous, peculiar, strange, weird, and abnormal. Welcome to 2020, the shit show that is our lives. The good, the bad, the ugly, and the indifferent. The school year is starting strong with new challenges and anxieties, and I hope everyone is hanging tough. I'm so happy to have everyone joining in and exploring the weird world with me. Now, if you all can say weird world three times fast, and then we can get going. We're going to start this week off right by uh, moving into some business. Visit the website inwardsurvival.com. Check out the donation links for the the nonprofit and just go check it out. I have a blog over there. I haven't written anything in a little while, but there's some pretty funny stuff. I am actually currently working on a little story about my time selling door to door um, in the Seattle, greater Seattle suburban area. That was really interesting. And so I think I'm going to call that one the Mickey Mouse Gestapo and you'll find out why soon. So go over there and visit that. Go see the socials. I'm on Instagram. I'm on YouTube, Golden Valkyrification. And I'm also on, you know, Facebook and all that stuff. I'm not going to run through all that stuff again. If you search me, you can find me. There's also a Fringe with Benefits Facebook page now. Thank you to everybody who liked it. You rock. We're already up to three digits in the likes. And I appreciate all the support and everybody um, accepting my invites to like. Uh, we have a new email, fringewithbenefits at protonmail.com. They've got some like encryption capabilities that I like. You know, they totally sold me on that and I like how they have it set up. So fringewithbenefits at protonmail.com is where you're going to send me all your mail, all your suggestions, all of your complaints. Just go ahead and send them over there. It's fringewithbenefits at protonmail.com. Don't forget to visit the anchor page for the show. And if you want to support the show, there's a support the show button in which you can pay a small monthly fee. If not, you can continue to get it free because I'm not doing any of that stuff just yet because I am still a newbie. I appreciate all the support I can get. I'm doing this to kind of get Inward Survival's name out there and to get startup costs handled for this as well as a good outlet for me to speak my mind. I know social media is a great place for that too, but I think a lot of what I say is wasted on there and it's a huge distractor and time waster. I love getting on there and I love wasting my time on there just like everybody else does, but we all know it's not a good idea. Time is valuable, friends. So that brings us to the accountability roundtable, the time where I sit and I talk about any mistakes or biffs I need to correct. So the opportunity to speak to people is given to the one who takes it. So I'm, I'm totally taking this opportunity right now. I mean, what a better time to be stuck in your house, but to start a podcast, right? But this power is given with only great responsibility. And I want nothing more than to bring joy, laughter, strength, and depth to my listeners' minds and consciousnesses. So I will occasionally talk about the toxic because there's no light without the dark, right? And to maintain an honest and sometimes raw exchange, it's imperative for growth, correct? 
Well, that's kind of what I thought. So sometimes we're going to get into subjects that people may not want to talk about. And I may say things that might be offensive to others. So there's the disclaimer right there. I say things that are offensive sometimes. And I say bad words. So that's going to happen occasionally. That's why I put the explicit warning on the podcast. And anybody who knows me personally would know that I've got a really great heart, but sometimes a really dirty mouth. And I'm sorry for that, but that's just the way it is. It's kind of who I am. And that it's also an aspect of myself that I would like to correct and to make better. So, and like I stated last week, my editing will refine itself. It will get better. I will learn when to click and not click the button, and I will learn how to edit this properly and how to actually download these files onto my computer and put them into proper um, editing software. So I don't know how to do that yet, but I do know how to talk somebody's ear off. So we're going to start there. Remember, if you're listening on Apple, make sure to give me a five-star review or give me some kind of review or subscribe or click like or whatever you're supposed to do on there. Just give me a five-star review because it levels the playing field so I can actually play ball with the big boys in podcast land. So go over there and do that. Thanks. Okay, here we are for Stacey's Socials. Sorry about all the noises. It's going to be a noisy one, this segment. So, okay. I was going to talk about an unpleasant experience uh, that I had on social media this week. Um, but there's, most of them are pretty unpleasant. <laughs> but I ended up ripping up that script. I wrote like four pages out about something I was going to say because I felt, you know, so justified saying it. And I, you know, I ripped it up and I deleted any evidence that I even gave my energy to that. Anything I recorded on that, just got rid of it. And so, because you know what, what we talk about is what is. And so the division is enough and I won't speak on anything I do not like associate integrity with, or I will try not to, unless it's necessary. So here I am this week amid the wreckage of last week and selling this year's uh, blueberry harvest. So I have a roadside stand that I could sit and record. So please don't mind the sounds of traffic and or wind. I know it's distracting, but if you, you can get a really good feel of what it's like to be here with me. I can hear my dead end sign, street sign banging into the side of the shop. How poetic is that, eh? And so before we talk about this week's Stacy Socials, let me quick tell you about my first Blueberry customer. It was a couple, probably about in their 50s. You know, I did everything right. I had my prices and my weights right, and I had my mask on, and they were totally masked. And that's another thing about being masked. If, like, if you're kind of mean to somebody or if you're rude to somebody, they don't know your face. They don't have that registered in the data of their brain. And so you'll never, you probably won't recognize them ever again unless they're, unless they're masked again. So it was an interesting experience for me. And they had brought in a carton that they had gotten from another vendor and they wanted to know how much it was to fill that. And so I told them, and then they still didn't want the blueberries. And so I tried to offer them one of my flats or, you know, however I'm selling them. And it's a, it's a fair price. Everything's legit, but for some reason they didn't want to buy from me. And I'm not sure if it's maybe because I have tattoos. I mean, that was where my first, my brain went first off. It could be because I have like a, some Halloween decorations in here, or I'm not really sure. 
Um, but it was a very strange experience and kind of very much like how strange of an experience it is being on social media. And I'm sure that most of you guys can vouch for me as far as this goes. So this week I wanted to talk about, so, you know, being a, I don't know, reality TV celebrity, I get a lot of mail, probably, well, definitely nothing like a real celebrity, but I still get a lot of weird stuff. And so this week I had gotten this really inappropriate message from somebody and I'm going to share it with you. I'm going to keep his name and um, confidential. And so I'm not going to keep him anonymous because he, he might be a little embarrassing, <laughs> embarrassed. <laughs> so, so this is how the dialogue went between him and I in my private messaging. August 9th, 2017 at 6.54 a.m., he said, thank you for accepting my friend request. And then September 16th, 2018 at 11.21 a.m., he sent a selfie. And it's not a very attractive selfie, to be honest. August 19th, 2019, so every year, about the same time, August 19th, 2019, at 7.33 a.m., he said he sent me a picture that said, what would you do if you saw someone naked in public? And I have not replied, okay? August 20th, 10.32 a.m., he sent me a YouTube video called Broomstick and Pretty Boy. Brandon Idol changed the channel on John Gustafson. I have no idea what that is. I didn't open it. And then he sent something that he unsent on Monday, 9.02 a.m. And then he sent something else that was other than what was unsent. I don't even know what was unsent, but it was um, the thing that I can see is the measure of success is happiness and peace of mind by Bobby Davro. I don't know who that is, but he sent me a quote. I've never replied to this guy, guys, okay? And then Monday at 10.47 p.m., he sent me a image that says, bet you won't send a toilet selfie uh, laughing emoji with a, like a cartoon lady on a toilet. And then he replied Tuesday at 8.22 a.m., bet you won't laugh out loud, LOL. And so I finally broke down after how many years he sends one-way communication because he actually sent me something that was requesting a, a selfie on the toilet. I just, I had enough at this point. I mean, like who, who does that? Where do you people hang out? I mean, do you tell people that you repeat repeatedly sends people messages, especially weird ones like that? So I basically say, okay, this is explicit. Are you fucking kidding me? Who the fuck sends someone a request for a picture on the toilet? And so he replies with, it was sent to me. I don't expect you to send me a toilet selfie. I just thought it was funny. Laugh out loud. And so the end of that was, you've blocked blankety blank. Okay. So I shared that. It got a lot of attention. A lot of people were like, what? Or, you know, they made little potty jokes. Or some people even sent me some selfies of them on the toilet, which they were all really cute friends of mine. And it was kind of cutesy, but it was, you know, if you're a stranger to somebody on the internet that you've never even spoken to, who's never replied to any of your messages, 
word to the wise, don't send them some kind of meme asking for a toilet selfie. Because, I mean, people could run with that. I mean, a lot of my friends were giving me all kinds of crazy ideas to send them pictures of all kinds of stuff. And if I had, I don't know, I, if I had more time on my hands, maybe I would troll somebody. But then that would make me not as, you know, just as bad as him. So let's all use social media responsibly. And let's all be nice to each other when we go places and communicate our needs very clearly because I think that's a lot of the problems we have today is lack of communication. Okay, so this week's viral video, it was really hard to choose. I mean, with all the great stuff out there, can you sense the sarcasm? <laughs> okay, so this week I chose the, the crow video. Okay, it's hilarious. Let me pull it up here. So this woman and her husband are approaching their front door. They must have come back from the store and she's, you know, kind of hiding behind him and a crow comes out of nowhere and just starts swooping on her and she freaks out and she's, you know, this is basic. Okay. Her name is Tiffany Markovich. And she says, this was the most terrifying experience of my life, but I thought I should share my embarrassment because also I can't stop laughing. This is the ring footage from our house. We have had a crow taunting us, mostly me for the last few days. I was sitting on the roof right in front of our door when we got home. Enjoy. So there's a disclaimer here that this content cannot be, it's exclusively managed. That's new. So they must've been there like trying to, I don't know what they're trying to do with this video footage, but it's basically this viral video that she posted. It's not super viral. It's only got about 85 K shares, 85.7 K shares. So not in the millions just yet, but it's pretty dang funny. And you know, she says this, this is the most terrifying experience of her life. I mean, it's a crow, you know what I mean? <laughs> I love them. I think they're amazing, but when they're super aggressive, I guess that that could be pretty intimidating. Same goes for, you know, barn swallows. They, they like to dive bomb you too. So I wanted to do a little bit of research. I'm going to put in the show notes an article that I referred to. It speaks to somebody who actually studies Corvid cognition and social behavior named Loma Pendograph, studies at Washington um, University for their master's. And he's basically saying, okay, so the... The article, which is called, let me find the article here. It's on earthtouchnews.com. And it's called When Crows Attack by Ethan Shaw. And this is pretty good, animal behavior. So basically, it's either one of two things, pretty much. It's a, now, I could be wrong, so let me know if you guys think that I'm wrong on this. That it's either a grounded nestling or it's some kind of um, food and population overlap issue. So there's actually this crow attack map that's based in uh, Vancouver and Victoria, and you could actually see the frequency of crow attacks in that area. So that's pretty cool. So they talked to Loma Pendergraft, and he says that. The defense of a fledgling is more likely than it would be as a food-seeking behavior. He said that food-seeking is usually accompanied 
with some kind of pestering like behaviors. So they would be pecking at your feet or just, just kind of pestering you. So crazy thing about corvids or crows or ravens is they're extremely smart and they actually remember faces and it actually discusses a study in which they used Halloween faces to or Halloween masks to associate a certain kind of behavior and so they could measure how cognitively aware these corvids are and they have remarkable cognitive behaviors. Basically, these crow attacks will usually chill out midsummer or once the young have fledged out. Fledged out. Um, but he also gives a pointer over at his website, and this article I'm linking links to his website. He gives some advice. He says, first and foremost, leave the area as quickly as you can and try brandishing an umbrella and or facing the attacking bird. Facing them would work. You should be leery of making a head-on strike. And if you chance upon a scruffy baby crow on the ground this time of year, it says, not an uncommon occurrence, the best course of action is to leave it be. And it's basically that um, you pretty much, if you try to rescue it, you are more likely to harm the fledgling as you would be to just leave it. So there's another word to the wise today. So we're going to knock out this week's mailbag before we do our weekly topic this week. It's just easier to do that. I've already got my listener mail. It's ready to go. And I still have quite a bit of research to do for the weekly topic that will be done. And it's going to be like no time has passed for you whatsoever because I'm just going to slip it in real easy like teehee. Okay, so this is I'm going to say that it was submitted anonymously. I do not think she wants me to share her name, but this is pretty interesting. This is about repatriation and about being or returning to your home country. This is in particular Belize. This is a girl's experience in re-entering her country very, very recently. This is what the person who wrote the email wrote. Someone posted this on a group on or in for people in Belize. I thought you would like to read it and maybe share it. Also, I haven't gotten to send you an email. I just need time to type it out and think about the time spent. And so she has a really insane story for me and I'm waiting for that. She knows who she is and I'm waiting to hear that story so I can share it with all of you because what this woman has gone through, especially like on the recent, is insanely tremendous and and to have to go through all of this during the virus is just it's crazy so this is what she's sharing for us this week and it's pretty nuts i mean if you could just sit and imagine that this is what happens to you okay so this is this woman's niece's experience repatriation repatriation i'm not really sure uh repatriation Here's what a repatriation flight to Belize looks like for Belizeans who would like to enter back into the country. You get on a plane and you show them your passport and ticket and you enter the plane waiting to fly into Belize. You think it will be a quick flight and maybe an hour wait and then you are tested and can get your things and go to the expensive hotel you were required to stay for to rest after a long day of travel. But sadly, it was not that easy. 
They had us wait an hour in line outside in the hot afternoon sun to turn in a paper saying where we were going to be staying and our name and emergency contact. An hour to turn in a paper. After we reach the end of the line thinking we will get tested, they take out our paper, check our temperature, and cross our name off the list, even though someone had crossed our name off in the beginning of the flight already. There was a woman with a small baby in line, and we were urging them to put her ahead of the line because the baby was crying since it was so hot outside, but they just turned their face and said no. You could tell the mother was about to pass out too because they did not offer anyone water, and there was no place to buy water inside. It wasn't until she got to the first nurse when the nurse had kindness and told them to skip the line. The other people working at the airport and the officers did not have any kindness or consideration for the mother and her baby. That's when we started to see a glimpse of their attitude toward us. Then they send you to wait in another line in a hot cement room outside with no fan, windows, or AC. It is just a tunnel with hot air. Very inhumane way to have us, especially when you've been wearing a mask on for eight hours already. It's harder to breathe when it gets extremely hot. We wait in this next line for another hour and finally get into the front, still thinking we would be tested at the end, but this was not the case. They got our passports and our customs forms and just asked us what we brought in our bags. Obviously, it's personal items and no one has money to be bringing in expensive things at this time, especially because of the economy and the repatriation cost alone. Yet they still continue to ask about four or five more times what you have in your bag and the value. Then they put your carry-on to get scanned again and maybe sanitized and let you go inside. We thought finally this is over and we can go get our bags and leave. Wrong. Capital wrong. We waited another hour and a half inside with no instruction and was only told to sit down and wait for your passport back. No one knew what was going on. We were not told the procedure the entire time or how long this would take because most of us were extremely thirsty and tired from an early day of travel. They told us to just sit down and gave us attitude when we would ask questions and just told us to wait. Then they proceeded to drag our bags to the door and do whatever they need to them, very unorganized and only one person or two people doing it while everyone else stood there. People were growing impatient, and we tried to treat them with respect and kindness, but as soon as they started giving us attitude and disrespecting us is when people began to speak up. We couldn't hear what the person was saying. No one could understand what was going on, so we began to explain that it would be nice to know what was happening. We then got scolded to just sit down and wait for our name to be called. Everything was so unorganized and they came in with pieces of sticky note paper with names written down every so often to call us to get our bags. It took so long and no one wanted to listen so people were waiting by the door once we got all our passports back. We heard the first group of people say they had missing bags and everyone started to worry and when we asked the bag officials they said they don't know where our bags could be. This started to panic us as everyone seems to be missing at least one or two pieces of luggage, but no one cared to answer us. We got our to search for our things and to our surprise, luggage was just thrown all over the place outside and anyone could just pick up and take one without a luggage stub or ID. Those who say anyone who couldn't have taken someone else's bag at that time Several people, including myself, saw that one of their bags were missing and we asked the luggage officials what to do. She told us to go to the customs room to see if it's there and to get it, but 
When we tried to go get our bags, they told us to go outside and line up again, even though the lady told us we can just go get our bags because we had to load them onto the bus, which was leaving soon. Once again, there was no instruction and order and the baggage people inside of customs treated everyone poorly. They picked which person to call in depending on the size of their bag or their last name. I heard someone got called in because they recognized his last name and thought that they could make money off him. I personally had an oversized bag filled with clothes and medicine. When it was finally my turn and the custom guy searched my bag and couldn't find anything of value to charge me, he told me to go get my other bag that was already sent outside even though it was not flagged for customs. I had to go outside and bring in my other bag myself and he searched through that too. After, after he was, it was useless things like used clothes and nothing new. He then told me to take my personal backpack off so he could look through it. This is my personal item on the plane and had not been checked as my bag when I first arrived and I had been carrying with me the entire time. When he looked through it, he saw my camera and accessories, which I've had since 2015, and was questioning me about when I bought it and how much it was. And sorry, it's all, there's no paragraphs in this thing. <laughs> and that was all he needed to see so he can charge me. After he went through my personal backpack, he told me, you still need to pay some tax because of these things. And I was in disbelief. I didn't even purchase the camera as it was a birthday gift from years ago, but yet I had to pay a tax on it. Not only that, but when he was going through my bag, he made things fall out and wasn't even trying to put them back how he found it. I had to repack everything so nothing would be missing later on. Might I add that these people wore the same pair of gloves for every bag they searched through? which means they spread germs and cross-contamination everyone's personal clothes and luggage. After he wrote that I had a value of $250 on miscellaneous items, they just charged me $100 at the customs checkout for my old stuff I had brought back with me. I've been a student studying abroad and I just graduated and was moving back home at this time, so I just brought all of my used things back home, nothing new. I only had limited space to pack up some things, so it's not like I could fit in much new things. After I had to wait in line to pay, there was an elderly man that needed assistance. He had assistance on the flight in Houston, as I saw him at the airport there, but once he got to Belize, they treated him so bad. He had been asking where his bag was, and no one would help him find him, find it or take him to where it was. So when he was trying to get his bag at customs, he fell out of his wheelchair because he had no one to help him. Some other passengers had to pick him up and help him because when one of the health officials saw that, she started to yell at him and say, we need to tell United to stop repatriating people like him because this is crazy. We don't want to be responsible for people like his kind. The elderly man didn't even say anything to them and seemed to be trying not to be a burden as he apologized several times for falling down. Ugh. But the health officials were so cruel to him after I left the customs area because they hassled me so much, I was the second to last person to enter the bus to go to the hotel. Upon arriving, I noticed it was packed and there was no social distancing whatsoever. It looked like a regular bus ride and there was no seats for some people to ride in. When we were asking the health officials about this and saying this is against the code and this is not social distancing, they cussed us out and said we deserve not to social distance and we should stop telling her things and be grateful that she's putting herself in harm's way for us. She went off and just because we're not saying the truth and she had nothing else to say, she even kicked someone off the bus and told them she's not going to deal with them standing on the bus because he didn't have, there was no seat left. It was very rude and uncalled for. On the way to the hotel, we were all saying that they did that on purpose for us to catch it if someone has the disease. 
Let's not forget that the shitty ride in an old hot bus with no AC costed us $25 each, which they collected up front. We paid for that kind of treatment. Things got worse as we were police escorted to the hotel like prisoners and then sent through the back as we crowded up in a small space to get in line to check in at the back of the hotel. We were saying there's still no room for social distancing and they're putting us at risk. A lady even said how they should be ashamed for treating their own people like dogs. And one of the BDF told her that kind of treatment is what we deserve. I was speaking to another person in line and she told me that the customs people charged her for the shoes she was wearing on her feet in the airport. She did not even have it in her bags. And when she told them she paid $100 for abroad customs or paid $100 for abroad, the customs told her she was lying because she has the same shoes and she paid $200. So she has to pay that tax. After we got our hotel keys, they made us take the stairs in the back and climb six floors to go to our room because they didn't want us to use the elevator. When didn't know for sure that there was an elevator until we came across it and people realized it, another BDF told us, you can't take use the elevator, keep walking, this is not for you, and laughed in our face. Mind you, it was three girls that he was talking to, so he was being extremely uncalled for with that statement. Another BDF was pointing a gun at us because we couldn't breathe and needed to get some air from our mask. And he told us to keep the mask on even though we knew to do so and we were not trying to take them off for our safety as well. The climb was really what killed us the most because people were on the verge of passing out with no food or water all day and it being so hot. Then we got to the rooms. We had to wait another hour for our bags and was greeted with cold food that looked like it had been sitting there for hours a small bottle of water alone to last us the night. And this is the $2,000 hotel fee we paid for. Then for dinner, they throw us a sandwich and a powder bun and call it a night. This entire thing was super unorganized and could have been done in a totally different manner. I expected it to be a little chaotic and had every intention to be patient, but that experience was more than ridiculous and made all of us frustrated and upset. We get treated this poorly, but I know if tourists were coming in, things would be a lot different. So this is where we go. This is how they treat their locals in Belize. That's pretty sad. I mean, that old guy, you know, those people could die from heat exhaustion. Take it from somebody who knows you. You really can kill somebody by not giving them enough water or making them stay in the heat like that. And then to tell them that, you know, that they they deserve to be exposed to disease and illness and that they deserve that kind of treatment. And then what kind of corrupt bullshit is it that they charge you tax on things that you already own? Do, do we live in, you know, 18th century? It, I, last I checked, we were in 2020. So it seems like Belize needs to get their custom officials in order. That is insane. It is a weird, crazy ass story. And I would have never even thought of what it would be like for some people to have to return to their home country during this time of having to quarantine and having to be moved like cattle through jumping through all kinds of loops and hoops to, you know, it's, it's unbelievable, unbelievable for this poor girl to have to go back to her home country after being here because America is great. And if you don't think so, then go somewhere else and see how you're treated because we are treated well here. It's great here. 
So that was the mailbag this week. It's probably not the most exciting story about scary stuff, but that's just as scary and crazy to me to be treated that way and then to have to, to pay for the mistreatment. So let's move on to our guest spot. Okay, before we move into our guest spot or the weekly topic or the rest, since I've totally screwed up the order of this podcast this week, I'm not going to do it again. Maybe I will. Maybe I won't. I wanted to ask you to send me your mail. We've got our, the podcast has its own email now. It's fringewithbenefits at protonmail.com. Fringewithbenefits at protonmail.com. Send me your crazy stories. I mean, it could be a weird ass story from, I don't know, whenever. It could be about anything. It could be about your hardship, your struggles. It could be about your victories. I want to hear your crazy, fun, weird stories. All life is weird. All life is crazy. And reality is way crazier than fiction. And we know this, right? Did you hear that cop go by? I just saw him. Yeah. Send me your mail. Fringe with benefits at protonmail.com. I want to hear your stories. I want to share them. Make sure to include your name if you want it to um, be said online on the air, or you can just submit it as an anonymous. If you do not state what you want, whether what name you want to use, I will probably state it as anonymous. So just better safe than sorry, right? Okay, so let's move on. Okay, so now I'm back inside. We're going to run through our weekly topic before we move into our guest spot. I totally screwed up this episode, but it's no big deal. We're just going to run with it. This week's topic is nanotechnology. This is something I'm totally fascinated with. It's something that totally gives me the creeps, but at the same time gives me um, an outlook of hope too, you know, for the things that we are able to do with nanotechnology is incredible and uh, leaps and bounds, people, leaps and bounds. So the reason I wanted to talk about this was I have this little game called Factor Crap. So every day it gives you like a little fact or whether or not it's crap thing and you decide and you tally up all your points at the end of the week or whatever. So this particular one says, in 2017, the FDA approved a pill prescribed to treat mental illness, which enables a doctor to track digitally when a patient has taken it. Factor Crap. Well, it's fact, people, and it says that's hard to swallow. Ha, 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 ha. Wah, wah. Anyways, I was also sent a email from a close friend about these nanobots, and I mean, it's kind of a, a doom scenario. It's kind of like the worst of the worst, but I'm going to share that with you guys at closing. But first, I wanted to get a good grasp of what's out there in the scientific community and what they're talking about. I started with nano.gov. So there's a government website and it is the National Nanotechnology Initiative. So pretty weird, right? And according to them, nanotechnology is a science, engineering, and technology conducted at the nanoscale. This goes across all other science fields, including chemistry, biology, physics, material science, and engineering. The applications are extremely vast. Historically, in 1959, before the term nanotechnology was invented, physicist Richard Feynman gave a talk in which he mentions a process in which scientists would one day be able to manipulate and even control molecules and atoms. 
1981, the development of the scanning tunnel microscope that could see individual atoms was invented, as well as later on the atomic force microscope, AFM. We have those, we have those capabilities now. So let's give you a good idea what the nanoscale is. The basic fundamentals are that one inch encompasses 25,400,000 nanometers. One sheet of newspaper is 100,000 nanometers thick. One nanometer is equal to one millionth of a millimeter. Crazy, right? So we're talking tiny, tiny, like virus size. I decided that I was going to go to the big boys first to, you know, research this. And so I whipped out, you know, Google Scholar is great if you want to find peer-reviewed journals, scientific community journals. That's, those are the, those are the big boys. That's where you get your real research done. If you're, you know, if you're an academic, you know that those are really the only sources that you want to use to prove your point because those are the most legitimate that you can even get out there. So... I found an article called Nanotechnology Applications in Cancer. It is an annual review of biomedical engineering. I will link in the show notes all the articles where I got this information from. So this particular article talks about iron oxide nanocrystals and semiconductor quantum dots. And they are linked to a tumor targeting ligands, peptide or small molecule, and they're used to target tumor biomarkers and basically seek and destroy any cancerous tissue, right? There's also capabilities for molecular and cellular imaging, drugs administering uh, for cancer therapy, and even early detection and screening capabilities. So they basically can move throughout our organism and find problems, right? And we're going to hear more about this, but that is one legitimate resource in which we have these capabilities. They are working on these capabilities to use nanotechnology to seek and destroy cancer cells. I also found an article called Nanotech Applications in Pollution Sensing. They use nanosensors to detect microbes, humidity, and even toxins. And these are little metal oxide semiconductor nanostructures that can degrade organic pesticides and industrial pollutants. Crazy, right? The article really goes into it. You should probably check that out. I heard somewhere, so I drink Coca-Cola occasionally. I really shouldn't, but it's something, it's one of those things that I do. And I used to drink Pepsi, but I went to Coke. I heard from a fellow podcaster that he heard, you know, I don't have a direct source for this. And I'm not sure if it's true, but it's a rumor that Coca-Cola uses nanotechnology in their products. Heard about it, have no idea if it's true, but the more I look into it, why wouldn't they? If it's being practically used in agriculture, maybe some of these food companies are actually using nanotechnology. That's kind of disheartening and scary, right? So there's a ton of information out there in the scientific community about nanotechnology from everything, you know, material science to pollution and environmental stuff to the medical applications. It's a hot topic right now, especially with AI and robotics. It it all goes in line with that. The original article I wanted to refer to is pretty freaky. It's called Designer Nanobots Changing Humanity. And we found it in the Stillness of the Storm website. It was published on May 4th, 2019. So this guy actually got this article from Roseanne Lindsay, ND, from her um, website, natureofhealing.org. 
And this is what it says. So nanobots are so small, they function on the same level as viruses and bacteria. We basically already said that. One million nanobots can fit on the head of a pin. These tiny robots are programmable. They take orders and do odd jobs, like cleaning out blocked arteries or swimming in oceans to eat chemical pollution. Science calls them the greatest thing since sliced bread. However, this technology has existed as the T4 bacteriophage since at least 2004. Okay, so if you look up the T4 bacteriophage, you're going to see this crazy little looking robot thing that existed naturally as far as we know, but it's very strange. It's, it's something out of a sci-fi movie, so you should go check it out and look at an image of a T4 bacteriophage. This article saying it's calling it the original nanobot. It, it targets specific bacteria as a phage. Now, T4 phages are viruses that attack all types of cells, including neurons. The six-leg T4 phage is a virus infection device. It has been used in vaccines for at least a decade. The mini-bot delivers phage DNA from the head into a host cell cytoplasm. This Trojan horse technology implants DNA directly into your cells to forever change future generations by delivering a DNA payload to the egg cells in the ovaries and also in the male reproductive system. So our gametes, our eggs and our sperm inside of our bodies are also infected, which means future generations will also be infected. And if we maybe one day we'll do a topic on epigenetics, it's one of my other favorite topics, is what certain things do to us generationally and evolutionarily. So this thing, there's a picture of it in this article. It's, it looks like an itty bitty robot bug. It looks like a bug, you know, a little spider with a little deco decohedron i'm not sure what the shape is um head with this long uh, cylindrical body very freaky looking something you definitely do not want to see crawling on you but we wouldn't because they're tiny tiny right it goes on to say nanobots can be utilized in all areas of life from manufacturing to the environment to warfare both outside and inside the body medical researchers claim they can target cancer directly at the tumor and avoid killing healthy cells Cancer is what happens when your cells become damaged and can no longer self-correct or self-destruct. How do nanobots avoid damaging cells after injecting them with a payload? Well, they're many computers. They're super smart, right? Di she says, diabetes researchers say nanobots can travel through the bloodstream and collect data about glucose levels and transmit it to a receiver. The fascination factor usurps the potential damage. Nanobots can be programmed to stand on two legs like their larger robot cousins, and they can be programmed to self-replicate and build nanofactories so that a small group can build more nanobots and develop into a massive swarm to tackle large-scale projects. Nanobots can trigger cell suicide, something your body already directs through apoptosis. So we know this, cell death. Nanobots are the handiwork of the Defense Advanced Research Project, or DARPA, which has also unleashed genetically engineered mosquitoes as flying pesticides to spread genetically modified viruses to Europe or to crops. Not, I'm sorry, not Europe, <laughs> to crops. Companies like Oxitec claim patented killer mosquitoes can suppress wild mosquito populations that carry pathogens and thus stop the spread of viruses such as Zika or stop diseases such as malaria or dengue. So yeah, we have little robotic mosquitoes that are seeking and destroying naturally occurring mosquitoes. Is that natural? No, not really. It goes on to talk about the rise in microcephaly, which is, it's a condition in which the brain does not develop properly. And it's a really sad situation. 
It goes on to say, however, in its desire to play God, OxyText's 2015 release of GM mosquitoes in Brazil resulted in a dramatic increase in Zika virus among the population, which resulted in a rise in microcephaly in newborns. And, and they're also saying that it's been a complicating factor from the DTaP shots to pregnant women in 2012, which is also associated with a rise in microcephaly. The problem with all this robotic and chemical prevention is that life finds a way that I'm quoting directly goes on to say the consequences of nanotech. This is intense guys. What if nanobots multiplied beyond control and decided to consume everything in sight? What if they dropped off a payload of medicine in a cell, but then took some genetic material in return? What if they reported to your doctor that you're not compliant with taking your medications? What if nanobots develop a mind of their own and decide to escape as promo bot 77 attempted to do from a lab in Russia twice before its ultimate demise? Okay, what? What? Put on the brakes. What? Okay, so there's a link in this article to whatever source he's referring to. I've never heard of this. I'm going to look further into that. Let me know if you look into that, what you think or what you happen to find, and I'll do the same. It goes on to say... What are the consequences of an army of robots deployed in the privacy of your body? The answer is there's no more privacy and no control. A bioinvasion of nanobots eliminates autonomy over your mind and body. Nanobots represent warfare on the human population, body, mind, and soul at all the micron level. The Pentagon's research arm claims agricultural nanobots are intended to defend crops, but doesn't deny dual-use potential as biological weaponry. So that's where it ends, at least the, the spot that I quoted for you guys. Pretty intense and extremely scary, the capabilities. Now, the capabilities for positive are wonderful. I mean, it could save lives. It, can, it could fix huge problems environmentally for us. It, it, I mean, it's unbelievable. It, the, the possibilities are endless, right? So I wanted to talk about... The Stillness in the Storm editor also shared a little writing about why he posted this and a disclaimer of what his intentions are in sharing information because there's a whole lot of stuff about misinformation going on out there. If you look at this article, a lot of people will be like, no, no way, you know, that's not really happening. But if you look at the scholarly journal articles that I looked at prior to this, it is happening, guys. It absolutely is happening. So we're going to read this little letter from the editor because what he says here encompasses what I'm trying to do with this podcast and, and anything that I put out there to, to share or try to inform, okay? This is quoted from him. Technology is the use of scientific knowledge for a practical purpose. More simply put, technology is the use of any knowledge to express one's values and desires. But not all technology is beneficial. To understand this, consider the purpose of human life is evolution, to grow wise and competent in all areas possible. In this respect, technology can help humanity by enhancing human consciousness, or it can hinder it. In today's world, we have yet to grapple with the question of ethical technology with respect to the actualization of human potential. If technology limits the development of knowledge, wisdom, and competence, it is not a beneficial technology. Consider GPS systems as an example, which make life somewhat easier for navigation, but by robbing the individuals of the ability to intrinsically learn how to navigate. Thus, if technology takes growth potentials away from humanity as much of our modern day technology does, it should be replaced with something more conducive for human growth. 
Comprehending the difference is vit vitally important as to activate the urge to chance the status quo. Additionally, once one has gained the ability to discern beneficial from malevolent in the technology domain, they can use that same skill set in all areas of life, profoundly improving the life for themselves and those around them. Unbelievable. <clears throat> so he goes on with a disclaimer because, I mean, sharing this kind of stuff and these types of perspectives is kind of dangerous in today's society. There is people are being deplatformed all over by talking about things that people don't want them to talk about or the status quo doesn't want them to talk about. And that's a, a huge form of censorship, and I do not support that in any way. So I want to share with you this stillness in the storm disclaimer because I thought it was brilliant. And I think we all need to think about these things, especially when it comes down to technologies that our governments have or even private companies have that we don't know a damn thing about. Okay, so here's a disclaimer. All articles, videos, statements, claims, views, and opinions that appear anywhere on the site whether stated as theories or absolute facts are always presented by stillness in the storm is unverified and should be personally fact-checked and discerned by you, the reader. Any opinions or statements herein presented are not necessarily promoted, endorsed, or agreed to by stillness. Those who work with stillness or those who read stillness. Any belief or conclusion gleaned from content on this site is solely responsibility of you, the reader, to substantiate, fact-checked, and no harm comes to you or those around you. And any actions taken by those who read material on the site is solely responsible of the acting party. You are encouraged to think carefully and do your own research. Nothing on the site is meant to be believed without question or personal appraisal. And so, and then it also, the, the mission here. Our mission here is to curate, share articles and information what we feel is important for the evolution of consciousness. Go team! Most of that information is written or produced by other people and organizations, which means it does not represent our views or opinions as managing staff of Stillness in the Storm. Some of the content is written by one of our writers is clearly marked accordingly. And just because we share a CNN story that speaks badly about the president doesn't mean we're promoting anti-POTUS views. We're reporting the fact it was reported and that this event is important for us to know so we can better contend with the challenges of gaining freedom and prosperity. Similarly, just because we share a pro or anti-insert issue or topic here, content such as pro-Second Amendment piece or an anti-military video doesn't mean we endorse what is said. Again, information is shared on this site for the purpose of evolving consciousness. In our opinion, consciousness evolves through the process of accumulating knowledge of the truth and contemplating that knowledge to distill wisdom and improve life by discovering and incorporating holistic values. Thus, sharing information from many different sources with many different perspectives is the best way to maximize evolution. What's more, the mastery of mind and discernment doesn't occur in a vacuum. It is much like the immune system. It needs regular exposure to new things to stay healthy and strong. And then if you have any questions, you can email them. So I, I suggest everybody go check out their website because this guy knows what he's talking about, knows what he's doing, and I really appreciate that for sure. And I'm sure that it, his other readers do as well. So, hell yeah. Go. So, how do you feel about nanotechnology? Would you take a pill that would report back to your doctor your goings-on and what you put into your body and what you don't put into your body? I mean, how would you feel about that kind of invasion of privacy? Would you volunteer for a study in which they, they inject nanotechnology into your body to to do screenings and such, or to report back to whatever computer or database that they're trying to fill. 
I'm not sure that I would. I mean, I would want my loved ones to get the best medical care possible. And if it meant saving their life, I might consider it. But it still, it gives too much control to people that already have a lot of power and control. So I want you guys to sit and think about nanotechnology a little bit and what it is doing and where is it in your life? Do, are you aware of it? Is it is it affecting you and how you get your food and your resources? I'm going to open my eyes quite a bit more regarding this and I want to learn as much as I can. So any other information I will bring back to you here because it's all weird and crazy and I love it. I also noticed that there was a release in the news today that Elon Musk exposed that he has a, a chip implanted in the brain of a pig. Maybe we'll talk about that more later, but I thought that was interesting. There was quite a bit of um, reaction to that. Uh, we do know that he, on Joe Rogan, he talked about the Neuralink thing. There's a lot of things coming out of that man, and I, I think he's great. I think that he's... he's um, promoting a better life for humans, but he's also, it's very dangerous. There's a healthy fear there that we're, you know, is he playing for the good guys? Is he playing for the bad guys? I don't know. What do you think? Let me know. This week's guest spot belongs to David Palettis. If you guys are familiar with him, he is a retired police officer former detective, and he's now an investigator and writer of his self-published books, which I would call, he's mostly known for his Missing 411 books. If anybody's ever heard of the Missing 411, maybe sometime I will do a weekly topic on it. This guy's amazing. He has written, let's see, we've got from his Missing 411 series, we've got Missing 411, Eastern United States, Western United States and Canada, and North America and beyond. The Devil's in the Details, Sobering Coincidence, Hunters, Off the Grid, Law, and Canada. They're all titled Missing 411, and then what I just read is the subtitle. You can order all of his books. Um, I believe it's canammissingproject.org or .com, and you can find him on YouTube. He puts out videos and discusses this topic. His uh, YouTube is canammissing. I think you just um, look up canammissing, and it should pop up, and you'll find him. This guy is doing incredible work. There is some really odd, weird patterns going on with these missing people in these national parks. And the guarded, or the way that this information is guarded from these officials is just really, really strange. And he, so he basically, he's compiling all the data from all these missing cases that have all these certain strange anomalies. And some of these people are never found. Some of them are found dead years later in places that were already searched. Or sometimes they're even found alive. And there are certain circumstances in which some of these really little children that go missing are found like two ridges over or a 10 miles away. And there's no way a toddler's going to walk that, you know, so what the heck happened? If you guys are not familiar with the missing 411, go check it out. I mean, if you don't want to read the books, go over to his YouTube channel and just listen to him. Listen to what he says. There are lots of skeptical um, people that have reviewed his work that say that, you know, he doesn't really have anything, but, you know, the proof is in the pudding. Look at what he's saying. Look at his evidence. Something strange is going on. And there are some um, safety concerns that he wants to make sure that everybody is doing what they need to do when they go out into the wild or when they go hiking. 
there are things that you can do to safeguard yourself. But I, I really suggest that you, everybody goes and checks out, checks out David Pauletti's, Dave Pauletti's Missing 411 and the Can-Am Missing Project. So he deserves a lot of recognition. I wanted to make sure that I talked about him at least once so far. Okay, so Inward Survival, School of Survival, or School of Magic, whatever you want to call it, this week, it's real short and sweet. It's about responsibility. And I'm going to bring up Real AF with Andy Frisella again. Great podcast, Andy Frisella. He has a lot to offer, a lot to offer people in the art of self-mastery and taking care of yourself and visualization. So what I want you guys to do for this week's school assignment is look at what your life, so this comes from Andy Frazella, look at your life, what, it, what is it going to be like a thousand days from now? Where will you be? What, were your, what will your life look like based on your habits and your behaviors now? Or what would you like your life to look like based on what changes you may want to make? So I want you to, whether or not you're going to journal it, I would prefer that you write down a brief summary of what you think your life is going to look like in a thousand days, what accomplishments you're going to make. I want you to sit with that. I want you to write it down and I want you to sit there and close your eyes and visualize what your life is going to be like, what your bank account's going to be like, what your body's going to look like, you know, what kind of friends you have in your life, you know, what kind of home you're going to live in, where you're going to be living, what kind of people are going to be surrounding you. I want you to visualize every single aspect of what it's going to look like in a thousand days for you. Imagine it, feel it, feel the emotions associated to how good it's going to feel to accomplish the things that you've been, you've set out to accomplish. So get yourself a little notepad and write down a thousand days from now, I will be, and then you fill in the rest. I will do the same. And so let's start, you know, visualizing. Let's start making this shit happen for us. I know that I can do it. I've done it myself. I've seen my life change through visualization and small decisions because there is a thing called compound interest. You do a, a bunch of small little things and over a certain amount of time, usually a long amount of time, you start to see results. But you have to be willing to make those small decisions and take responsibility for yourself and what your life is going to be like in a thousand days. And I want to thank Andy Frazella for even bringing that up because, you know, a hundred days, okay, that's not that very long, but a thousand days, some real changes can be made in that amount of time. Look at that. And then so our stoic thought of the day, uh, you know, I was going to do the stoic thought of the day on minding your own business, <laughs> but I decided we're going to use responsibility for that because we're already with it. It comes from Eleanor Roosevelt. She says, freedom makes a huge requirement of every human being. With freedom comes responsibility. For the person who is unwilling to grow up, the person who does not want to carry his own weight, this is a frightening prospect, end quote. Epic, awesome, and I'm going to be thinking about that uh, this week coming up. And I can't wait to get back to you guys. Please email me your stories at fringewithbenefits at protonmail.com. Send me some emails. Tell me some stuff. Let me know how you're liking the show. Make sure that you go and like all my socials and like all my stuff. Go join the, the new page over on Facebook for the podcast. It's got a lot of likes so far. A lot of people are engaging. And I do believe the listenership is growing. Tell your friends about this podcast. More the, more the merrier. 
I appreciate all of you. Thank you for listening, and I will see you next week. Bye.